So we're in the second week of our Advent series, Advent Conspiracy. And um, as, the, as the video portrayed, there are a number of churches and believers who are just a bit uh, tired of, of the way the Christmas holiday has gone in our culture with all the consumerism and, and just like it's, it's budgeting and shopping and wrapping and, and, and stressing and eating and stress eating. And so as a church, we want to conspire to make Christmas meaningful again. Um, and the year was, I'm going to take you back a few years, 1994. I was a freshman at Tri-Valley High School in Central Illinois. And if you looked up a picture, or if you looked up the definition of awkward in the dictionary, it would have been my picture. I mean, I was still, I was tight rolling my jeans. You guys remember that fad? If you're uh, from the late 80s, early 90s. And I feel like that fad had concluded, but in central Illinois, where where there was no uh, access to internet at the time, at least that I knew of, it took a, a bit longer for me to figure that out. And so I was a couple years behind the fashion trend, still tight rolling my jeans in high school, thought I was cool. Um, and then, but I did play basketball. I was on the freshman basketball team and sometimes played JV. I got promoted to JV a little bit. And there was, uh, there was this girl, and we'll, we'll just pretend her name was Kelly Dollins. <laughs> just random. Uh, now Kelly, Kelly was a junior. I was a freshman. She was a varsity cheerleader. I was not on varsity. Uh, but for some reason, uh, she and I, we, we liked each other. She liked me. I don't even know if I could look her in the eye and have an intelligent conversation as a freshman boy. And, and uh, now, we, we hadn't gone on any dates, and I don't know if I would have been allowed to as a 14-year-old uh, at that time. Um, but, you know, we... and. Uh, we weren't official. You know, like there's a point in a relationship in high school or junior high where the relationship becomes official. We, we weren't there, but everybody else knew that, that we liked each other. And so it was kind of like off limits kind of thing. And uh, well, then it happened. December happened. And Christmas happened. And I can remember it like a, a scary movie. I came out of my freshman class, and there was Kelly walking down the hall. And in her, her hand was a Christmas gift for me. And all of a sudden, all these uh, emotions like, came over me. And it, it wasn't like, oh, that's so thoughtful. It wasn't like, oh, man, well, I wonder what it is. It was like, I don't even know what this emotion was, but in, in slow motion in my mind, it was, no! Because I didn't have a gift for her. And uh, as a freshman... Without a job, <laughs> I had had my first summer job the, the previous summer. So now, all these thoughts going through my head like, oh, man, I, uh, I mean, I, I like you, but I don't know if I like you that much. I mean, you do, you, you can drive a car. That's kind of cool. Uh, the freshman couldn't drive a car. She could drive. A, don't, don't tell me that no one's ever had these kind of thoughts before when it comes to uh, gift giving. Uh, and so, I mean, there, there was just this internal struggle like, like, why did, why did she have to get me a gift? Uh, and so, because now I have to get her a gift that is somewhat meaningful. That's hard for a 14-year-old boy. And comparable in price, right? 
You guys, you guys know what I'm talking about. Like, if I get something that's too cheap, she's going to think, oh, he must not really like me. And I, because the gift that she got me was a sterling necklace, uh, silver with a cross, silver cross. And it's like, oh, man, that's, I didn't know it was that serious. Um, so, but I, I know I'm not uh, alone in, in, in these thoughts, but I was about to drop $50, which in, in freshman money at that time was about $1,000 in my mind. You know what I'm saying? Like that is, and I got her some perfume and something else, and I don't even remember, I don't remember much about high school. Like that was a long time ago. But that, that picture of her walking towards me with the gift is etched in my memory <laughs> because of the, uh, uh, the trauma <laughs> that, that that gift uh, caused me. And, uh, and I'm, I'm not the only one who, who stresses about gifts. Like, should I buy them a gift? I want to buy them a gift, but what if they're not buying me a gift? It's awkward, right? Um, I don't want to buy them a gift, but I think they're going to buy me a gift, so I better get them one. And so when it comes to gift giving, there's actual... Um, like psychologists have done studies on this, and there's, there's actual like, things that happen in our hearts and in our minds. Um, there was a, an article this 30 years ago in the New York Times, and it said that there are many potential sources uh, for discordant attitudes towards gift. Cultural and family differences are certainly important. Gifts may have been a big deal in some families and all but ignored in others. You may have found that in a relationship that you're in. Uh, in some families, much time and effort spent uh, finding just the right gifts, whereas other families, their little token gifts, often the same for everyone. Uh, because when we talk about gifts giving, there's issues of, like, and we don't often stop to think about these things, but there's issues of power and vulnerability in giving and receiving gifts. There are, there's just uh, different levels, uh, consciously or otherwise. Some people try to use gifts to buy love or friendship or assert dominance or instill a sense of obligation on the person to whom they've, they've given the gift. Others, this was another study I found, is that men in particular struggle receiving gifts because we don't know what to do with our emotions. <laughs> and uh, it causes all kinds of internal feelings. And, and it's, the article said that they seem to, to fear the feelings of tenderness that are awakened by receiving a thoughtful gift. Hey, come on, guys. It's all right to be tender. But, but guys, we don't know how to deal with that. Um, and so do you want to know what happened with Kelly? Kelly Dallas? It didn't work out. You know, she's not here. That's, that's a long time ago. Uh, but not because of my poor gift selection. Um, <laughs> I remember, uh, so I didn't have my driver's license, so I got her a gift. My dad had to drive me over to her house to deliver said gift. And even on the way over, I was like, Dad, I hope Jesus comes back before we get there. <laughs> like, uh, oh, freshman boys. But uh, so Christmas, you can't have Christmas without gifts, right? Like for us as, as Americans, and uh, we have associated Christmas with, with giving gifts, receiving gifts, uh, time for um, also overspending. So just, I just want to throw out a few numbers for you, like on how much the, the average uh, American is going to spend on Christmas this year. And uh, this may be more than you spend, this may be less. But a recent survey said that the average is going to be a little over $900 this season that everyone's going to spend 
on, on Christmas. And if parents are likely to spend even more, that parents spend an average of $400 on each child. Not in our family, you know what I'm saying? That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, we help bring that average down a bit. Uh, and quite a few parents uh, spend more than $500 on each child. And, and worse is that uh, a lot of times that we, we put ourselves in financial difficulty because of Christmas. Um, and this may or may not be your situation, but a quarter of us take drastic measures each Christmas. That, by that I mean uh, a quarter of us are either touching our retirement, like from our 401k, going into debt, going into our emergency savings, taking out payday loans. And a lot of families understand the need for a budget at Christmas. But even of those who create a budget for Christmas, at least half of them don't keep it. Like they over, overspend. And, um, and giving is, is so ingrained in our Christmas celebration that if you took away the gifts, would you still have Christmas? And, and you've, you've heard it and you might have said it that, oh man, money is tight this year, but I don't want the, the kids to miss Christmas. Or, or I want them to have a, a good Christmas. I want to get them Christmas. As, as if to say, what we're really saying is that gifts equal Christmas. And if we didn't have the gifts, then we wouldn't have Christmas. And so how did we come to associate our gift giving with Christmas? Like historically in, in the church, why do we give presents at Christmas? I want you to just take a moment, turn to your neighbor and, and tell them your answer. Go ahead. 20 seconds. Like, why do we give gifts? Why do you think we give gifts? It's fun. There's no wrong answers. Why do we give gifts? Mm -hmm. All right. You hear some good answers? I don't really want to hear anything, but... Uh, <laughs> All right, so everyone has their reasons? I want to give you three potential historical reasons why we give gifts at Christmas. Uh, the first reason is the Magi. In the, the birth story of Jesus, the Magi, you might know them as the wise men. They could just as well be wise women. We don't know, says Magi. Uh, but these, these Magi looked into the heavens, looked into the stars, and there was something that awakened them, something that told them to go towards Jerusalem because there was a king being born. And this is hard for, uh, for Christians and, and Bible-believing people to, to wrap our minds around the story of, of God speaking to people through the stars. But they saw something, they believed something, they went to Jerusalem in search of this newborn king, and their search took them to Bethlehem. And when they got there, they bowed down and worshiped. And what else did they do? They looked at one another and they gave each other gifts. Okay, here's a flat screen TV for you. No, they, they gave gifts to Jesus, right? Um, and so this may be one reason why as, as Christians at Christmas that we give gifts is because of the, the story of the Magi giving gifts to Jesus. And so in, in memory of that, we give gifts to uh, one another. An another reason that we possibly give gifts is the story of St. Nicholas. As aware of the story of St. Nicholas was a real a man who lived in the 4th century, so about the 300s. And much of what we know about St. Nicholas 
can't be verified historically. Like some of it has grown into legend and stories. But the story of St. Nicholas is that uh, his parents were rich, but they passed away. And so he inherited a lot of money. And he took the command of Jesus to, to sell everything you have, to give it away, literally. And so he would go and he would give gifts. And uh, there's a story of him dropping in like uh, coins into people's houses unbeknownst to them and going from house to house and around. And, and um, thankfully, uh, American consumerism and marketing found St. Nicholas in the late 1800s and turned him into something different uh, so that we would spend more dollars on St. Uh, Nicholas and what he did and, and on his, his legacy. So that may be another reason why we give gifts on, uh, because of, of St. Nicholas and, and his story. Another reason that we give gifts is, and this is probably the most, uh, I don't know if I'd say accurate, but historically based one is why, why do we give gifts? Like why is that even, even a thing? And that's because Christianity was born into the Roman Empire. And in the Roman Empire, there was a, a god that was uh, worshipped by the name of Saturn. Now stick with me for just a moment. And Saturn was the god of agriculture. And if you're the god of agriculture, we, you want to please that god of agriculture so you have good crops. And so uh, Saturn might sound familiar. Uh, one of our planets is named after Saturn. Also Saturday is named after Saturn. And in December, he was celebrated in, in the most famous of Roman festivals called uh, make sure I get it right, Saturnalia. Anyone ever heard of that? It's all right if you haven't. But Saturnalia, it was, it was the greatest Roman feast. It was a time of feasting, uh, role reversals where slaves were treated to a banquet that usually their owners were, were treated to. It, they had uh, special songs, revelry, gift giving was part of that. It was a week-long celebration and ending on the winter solstice. Like, well, Matthew, that's not December 25th. But it was in the, uh, in the, for the ancients. The Romans celebrated the winter solstice like we, I don't know if we, we say we celebrate it, but our solstice we know is on December 21st. For them, for the Romans, it was on the 25th. So it culminated on the 25th. And, and later, the 25th, it, it began to, to morph in the, in the Roman world to where they even had, uh, it was called the birthday of the unconquerable sun, S-U-N. Because it was the day they celebrated when the day started to get longer, where light triumphed over darkness. And so you had, um, it was called Sol Invictus. And this was in the first centuries after Jesus. Where, where Christianity was born. And so Christians come along, and, and they didn't quite uh, go along with the pagan celebration. But this idea of light triumphing over darkness, uh, it, it became uh, an idea in some, in some Christians' minds, and they began to celebrate the birth of Jesus, coinciding with Sol Invictus, coinciding with Saturnalia. And so they, they took what was pagan, and they redeemed it. Said, hey, instead of let's having these songs to Saturn, let's have these songs to Jesus. Instead of gift giving, let's have gift giving uh, in, in honor and remembrance of Jesus. And so that has gone down through the centuries. And, and the church hasn't always been behind gift giving at Christmas. There was a time when, when the Puritans were in charge of, of the government or of the church in England. And they, uh, they said, all right, no more. <laughs> no more. No more gift giving. No more singing. No more fun. We're not, I'm, not in, I'm not in favor of that. Um, but, I mean, that is how our gift giving 
came to be, like why we give gifts today. And, and you, you may have not uh, known that story, but it, it's funny how 2,000 years later, uh, so what was once pagan was, was redeemed by the Christians in a celebration. And, but now, if we're not careful, we can almost slip back and lose our focus on Jesus and back into just the revelry and singing and overeating if we don't keep Jesus at the center of our celebrations. Um, and so I'm not, I'm not saying we shouldn't celebrate Christmas. Did I say that at any point? No, I didn't say that. No, I got, we have a Christmas tree. Kids are, are going to get uh, gifts this year. But I think it's important for us to know like, where some of these traditions come from as, as believers um, so that if, if one of these traditions were to cease, we, to know that we could still have Christmas. We could still celebrate our, our Savior. Um, so what does the Bible say about spending money and giving, giving gifts at Christmas time? What does the Bible say? Nothing. <laughs> the Bible, specifically talking about Christmas and giving gifts, the Bible doesn't tell us how to celebrate Christmas. It doesn't even tell us to celebrate Christmas. Um, but we celebrate, we celebrate Jesus. So instead of asking what does the Bible say about giving gifts at Christmas, a better question might be, what story does my gift giving tell? What story am I telling by the way that I give gifts? What story? Am I telling the story of Jesus by the way that I'm spending money this Christmas? And if we are going to worship, worship Jesus fully, then I think it should impact how we spend and how we give and, and what we do with our finances. So uh, today's focus is spend less, but not just spend less. Because for me, spending less is easy. Like I am a minimalist. I don't need much. Like I, uh, so that's not really... By spending less, it's not, it's not doing anything. So let's expand that spending less creates space for us to give more. Spending less creates space for us to give more. And it's, it's pretty simple. Uh, but it, it seems that as we get closer to Christmas, we have less space, right? Not just in our finances, but in our, in our time. And so that if Jesus were to call upon us to, to give in some capacity, whether give of our time or give of our finances, we might find ourselves unable to even obey Jesus because we have no space in which to give. And so we want to spend less to create space so we can give more. And it's, um, and it's not so much even about spending less, but looking at how we spend our money and, and why we spend it. And I just want to, for the rest of our time, look at a couple of scriptures that I think will help get our hearts uh, and minds around the idea of this spending less creating space. Um, so two scriptures and two observations about God, money, and Christmas this morning. The first is this. The first observation is that our hearts follow our treasure. Our hearts follow our treasure. Um, and Jesus reminds us of this in Matthew chapter 6. On the Bibles under your, your chairs, it's page 679, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew's one of the biographies of the life of Jesus. Matthew was a, a disciple who, who walked with Jesus. And in Matthew 6... It is the longest recorded sermon of Jesus that we have. And Jesus is just, um, he has gathered his disciples around him, and he's telling them, this is what it looks like uh, to be part of the kingdom of God. This is what it looks like to follow me. And, and some of the things that he has told them has, has stretched them. Some of the things have been contrary to the things that they have heard up to this point. Um, and so things like, 
Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, falsely say all kinds of evil against you. Rejoice and be glad. Like, come on, Jesus. Uh, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has committed adultery with her in his heart. If someone slaps you on, on one cheek, turn to them the other cheek. Love your enemies. So this is all in Matthew 5, 6, and, and 7. And it, in Matthew 6, verse 19, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moths and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moths and vermin do not destroy, and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. In verse 24, no one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. And when Jesus talks about the kingdom of heaven, he's not just talking about uh, where we're going to go uh, when we die, as if we're supposed to uh, send, send money up there. The, the kingdom of heaven is anywhere where the rule and reign of Jesus is taking place, even on earth, can be the kingdom be the kingdom of heaven. And uh, Jesus is saying, beware that you're not storing up for yourselves things that will break down. And he uses three analogies that we can understand today. Like sometimes when we read scripture, we're like, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? But there's other times, and, and this is one where it's very clear. Uh, he talks about three things that can destroy treasure. Uh, a moth, a vermin, some translations there say corrosion or, or rust, and thieves, like thieves uh, will come in and uh, can, can take things that are close from your heart. And has anyone ever had something destroyed by moths? Like you didn't even know it. You couldn't see them. You couldn't hear them. All of a sudden, a lot of times, clothes, right? Take something out of the closet and there's holes and it's ruined. It's something is damaged. Or corrosion, vermin. Last Sunday after church, the boys were helping me unload the trailer uh, so we take it to the house, we back it in, we un undo it. And I noticed that there was some rust, like, on the, on the crank starting to, to form. It's like, oh, man, there's rust. And the boys are like, Dad, what's rust? So we had a little explanation of rust and how it, if you don't do something about it, uh, that, that metal is broken down to where it becomes worthless. It's, it's destroyed. And, or a thief. Has anyone ever stolen from you? Anyone ever... Like I had a fraudulent charge on the credit card. Someone got a hold of your credit card. That makes me so mad. People thieving or, or calling you with, on the phone trying to get you to give them some information. Or um, I remember Elora and I lived in uh, Dallas when we were first married. And it was summertime one night. We came home late and you opened up the front door. And you expect to, to feel cold air come out of the house. Like, but it was warm air. I was like, oh, man, air conditioning gone, and you need air conditioning in Dallas, okay? Um, but as we walked in, turned on the lights, and I noticed, looked straight through, as it was in a very, it was a duplex, looked to the back, and the back door was open, and after about five seconds, I was like, oh, we've been robbed. Like, someone has broken into our house, so we backed out, we promptly called 911, and the police promptly responded about an hour later, and the thief was gone. Like we went in and, and things. Uh, but thieves, and so the, our, our gifts that we give at Christmas time often can be destroyed by moth or taken by thieves, and, and we can have it one moment, but then it's, it's gone. And, and the point is that earthly things are easily lost. And, and the types of gifts that we give at Christmas are often susceptible to all three. And, and Jesus knows that... Um, 
we, we put ourselves in a vulnerable place if our contentment and our joy and our peace come from the things that can so easily be taken from us. Jesus knows that uh, if we put our, our or we get our, our joy or our, our hope from something that is vulnerable and something that can be taken away from us, then we can lose our contentment and our joy. So what is it that you treasure that could be so easily taken from you and and Christmas is often a time of reflection, like looking at the last year and, and thinking, you know, kind of how did it go? Maybe your treasure this year was on that promotion that didn't come. Or maybe your treasure this year was on that job you thought you were going to get, but you didn't get. Or on that relationship that was starting to form with someone, but then things didn't work out. And often when one treasure fades, we look for something else. And so Jesus addresses our heart and our heart follows our treasure. And wherever our treasure is, whether it's monetary or not, there our heart will be also. And, and Jesus spends a lot of time talking about money. Not because he's so concerned with dollars and cents, but he's, he's concerned about our hearts and like where we are getting our, our trust and our hope from. And, and so why are you spending money on Christmas gifts? I'm not saying you shouldn't. I'm just asking the question. Like, when we spend money on gifts, like, why are, you, why are you doing that? Why? Is it to gain approval? Is it to get someone to like us more? Is it because we think we're going to get a present, too? What is the motivation behind your giving? And um, so the, the challenge of spending less, the call is, is to reject, at the same time, filling our souls with other things that, that maybe would distance us from, from Jesus um, so, I don't, did I give you the, uh, so I had two, two points today. I think I skipped the first, no, I did. First point, our hearts follow our treasure. Uh, and the second observation about spending less is that God's blessings aren't meant to be accumulated. They're meant to be shared. God's blessings aren't meant to be accumulated. They're meant to be shared. And um, the Apostle Paul, he wrote a letter to the church in Corinth and until we got to the series, we've been going through the book of Acts, book by book, looking at the early church. And when we look at the early church, like they were a church that uh, was on fire for Jesus. They loved one another. Uh, of course, there was some persecution and there was some internal struggle, but it seemed like for the most part, like they were sharing their possessions and things were going well. Well, when you read about the church at Corinth, we get a completely different picture of some of the first churches because they were messed up. Like some, read the, the first letter to Corinthians that we have. We, Paul wrote several letters to them. We have two that are part of Scripture. And in the first, in the first book, I mean, there is divisiveness. The, the church, they're taking each other to court. There's different class, uh, like the wealthy and the poor. They're not on the same page. They're not at the table together. There's illicit uh, sex going on. There's uh, a man who is having uh, sex with his stepmother. Like just... That sounds like a real church, you know what I'm talking about? No, not that part. No, I don't think I should have said that. I don't think I should have. I mean, by church being messed up. It's a, oh man, I need to just start over at the beginning. What I mean was, <laughs> what I'm trying to say, church ain't perfect. Corinthian church wasn't perfect. And uh, I don't even know if I can go on. We just better go to, come on. But it was like the Jerry Springer show at the church at Corinth. That's what I was trying to say. Um, and so Paul writes in this letter, in the second letter that he writes to him, and is extending some grace to them and extending an offer for them to, to pay it forward. And uh, 
The church in Corinth only existed because Paul had gone on some missionary travels and had been supported by the church in Jerusalem. The church in Jerusalem had supported him financially. They'd sent him out. And now the church in Jerusalem was facing famine, uh, lacking resources. And so he tells the church in Corinth, he's like, hey, don't forget about these believers over here. The, the whole reason that you exist is because of, of what they did. And, and so in 2 Corinthians, that's page 807 in, in the Bible, on the chair there. But 2 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul writes to them and says, And God is able to bless you abundantly, so that in all things, at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor, their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge your harvest of righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Paul is saying you've been blessed. Why? You've been blessed uh, to spend it on yourselves? No, to be generous. And um, why, did, why did, has God given you what you have? Like, it might not even be, like, what you think you should have. Like, God, it'd be nice if I had just a bit more. But why did God give you what you do have? Um, but this passage reminds us that God has blessed us so that we can be generous. And, and it's natural to think in monetary terms. We'll read passages like this and this, and they are talking about money. But generosity is so much more, so much more than money. And it may have been a hard year for you, and you may not have money to give, but everyone has something to offer. Everyone has something to offer. I'm so um, thankful. Yesterday, we served about 60 families with free family Christmas photos here, and we had about 25 people uh, from the church who were here serving, who were greeting and walking them in and organizing and taking photos and, and making kids smile who didn't want to smile, um, serving coffee, like, it was just a beautiful expression of generosity. So when we talk about generosity and God has blessed us, God has given us, what has God given you that you can bless someone else with? And, and at the end of the day, your generosity, even our generosity is not about us. And Paul says in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Like if at, yesterday, if, if people that were, were blessed by the free family photos, if they left and the only thing they're, they're thinking is, man, that, that Hills Church, they're a generous church. That's not sufficient. They should be saying, God has been so generous to me. Like the result of our generosity is people giving thanks to God. That is, and if, and if our generosity is not leading people to give thanks to God, then maybe we should consider how we are being generous, how we are spending our time. Spending less creates space for us to give more. And as I conclude, I just want to give you just a couple real practical things on how to spend less. And then we're going to move into a time of, of communion. Um, but this Christmas, if you haven't done it already, would be to identify a budget for your Christ, Christmas spending. You might be like, Matthew, you're a day late and I'm a dollar short. I think that's how that saying goes. Uh, well, if it's too late for this Christmas, it'll be back next year. And something that Elora and I do is we, we have some envelopes that we put money in each month for our, for our budget. Uh, 
and a lot of it are, is a cash budget we live by. And one of the things is a Christmas envelope that we, and so each month we put a set amount of dollars so that when we get uh, to Christmas, it's accumulated every month because Christmas isn't a surprise. It comes around every year. Um, and then Elora successfully spends all of it every year without fail. <laughs> uh, she does. Um, but, you know, a budget doesn't mean we're not spending money. It's just deciding ahead of time what you're going to spend your money on and, and how much. And you'll actually be freed up when it comes to Christmas to be like, this is what I've designated. This is what I can send. This is what I can do without going into debt. So identify a budget. A second practical thing to spend less is decrease by at least one gift this year. You're like, Matthew, you're not preaching anymore. Now you're meddling. You ain't preaching, you're meddling in my life. Um, but, I, but I'm serious. Like if, especially, um, you know, some people, your love language is giving gifts. And, the, and so I'm not saying don't give gifts. We just want to remember, like, what is our storytelling as we give these gifts? And, and so if, you know, there's no set number. Like, as Christians, we should give this many gifts, and that's legalism, and we're not going there. But it's this idea of, of spending less so that we can create space, so we can give more. Um, and then the, the third thing I would encourage you to do is plan how you'll be generous this season. 